Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, a strong and powerful Walker Diebel. Walker, are you ready to do this? Yes. Excellent. Let's do this. Walker <laughs> is an acquisition entrepreneur. He has co-founded three startups and acquired seven companies. His areas of, ex- of focus include distribution, manufacturing, education, child care, film and television production, enterprise software, and e-commerce. He is also the best-selling author of buy then build how to generate profitable revenue by acquiring companies I'm excited to have you on walker tell us a little bit about your personal life some more about your work and why you do what you do george thanks for having me on very excited to be here uh, personal life i'm in i live in st louis missouri um i have uh three uh, uh girls aged eight six and four. Nice. Um, I manage uh, three companies and I also help online entrepreneurs um, exit their businesses. Um, What's different about me is that, you know, when you listen to, you know, iconoclastic entrepreneurs, you know, that you sort of get this vision of, okay, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to grow it into this, you know, massive, massive company where, you know, I'm going to be CEO and, and running these, you know, innovative um, uh, 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 actions, right? And, you know, you also hear, well, the secret to my success is I simply got a lot of at-bats, right? Like you need to fail often, fail fast, learn from your failures and all the rest of it. After three startups, um, two of which, you know, were doing very well, had, had all of the variables, uh, you know, really accounted for, including, you know, oversubscribed investors, uh, uh, very successful executives recruited onto our management team, uh, top 10 accelerator programs, betas in large organizations, on and on and on. I found that failure is often punishment for people that don't understand statistics. <laughs> in other words, in other words, you know, we all heard, have heard this, you know, 10% of startups, you know, make it right or whatever. Well, the truth is, is out of those 10 that make 10 out of hundred, that is 10%, right? So out of the, out of these 10 that make it, you know, I started looking at it and saying, what does this actually look like once you, you know, make it once you succeed? And it turns out that only 4% of, of companies in the United States ever exceed a million dollars in revenue. Okay. Wow. So despite, yeah, so they don't reach this great level of sustainability. And despite the need and the popularity of entrepreneurship, we really haven't found, a, a, we really haven't engineered a more successful way to start up. And that's what my work is frankly all about. Nice. Well, certainly entrepreneurship seems to me it's never been cooler. You've got public entrepreneurs like Gary Vee out there and, and a myriad of other folks. And mm-hmm. I, I think I think that they're, they're exciting and, and fun to listen to. But how do you know if entrepreneurship is right for you? Is it can is 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 there a way to sort of gauge that's, that? That's a great question. So in my book, uh, Buy Then Build, one one of the first things that we go over is the attitude, right? And the reason I came up with that with that the, or how I came up with that was, you know, I, I will often speak at universities about you know what I do and how people can do it, and I always say, okay, you guys came here. This is an elective, right? Like what questions do you have before I get started? And, you know, like any, like any group, there's always a bell curve and you always got these, you know, on one end, it was someone said like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually buying a business tomorrow. How do I close or whatever? And the other person would say, 
um, how do I even know that I'm right for this? And so I started um, engaging uh, uh, some psychologists in the space. And at the end of the day, I've concluded that entrepreneurship isn't really a job. It's kind of a condition, right? Um, you know, you, you, you know, you know, often entrepreneurs will say things like, you know, I just can't work for anyone else. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm unemployable. Right? right. Um, but you know, the truth is, is if, if you, if you break it down all the way to the fundamentals and say, what makes a successful entrepreneur, you're talking about someone who is a problem solver, who has a growth mindset and is driven. And ultimately they're just working towards a good opportunity. Got it. I think that those are great, great three criteria right there. So if you feel like you are, in fact, three of those things or, or you, you sort of meet the criteria, how do you if, if, if you've never been in an entrepreneurial venture, is there a way to really know what you're in for? What a great question. You know, I think that, you know, a lot of people will ask me, you know, there's kind of a trend in academics and they're called, you know, it's called, um, entrepreneurship through acquisition in, in academia. And, um, a lot of MBAs are getting in this space. And even then I, I worry that, you know, the, the, the shortfall, the, the, the drawback of getting started. So, so early is, you know, you've got to have some, uh, real life experience. I wouldn't recommend, you know, someone go out and buy a business for their first job. There is an exception. If you have a, you know, online marketing skill set, um, you know, I think, and you're looking to, you know, start a lifestyle business, uh, you can acquire, um, a lifestyle business with, you know, an SBA loan for literally like 10% of the total purchase price. And so, you know, if you're buying smaller, you're buying something where you're not managing the complexity of, you know, 50 different, uh, employees and, you know, who needs what and who's on vacation and there's drama over here and how come we can't get that, you know, if that's the direction you're going, then I think it's easier. But I do recommend, you know, the more work experience you have outside of this, that you know, I think the better. Yeah, I think that. That's but so in other words, yeah, in other words, just to pull it pull it together. I think I, you know, I really think that you know, if you're if you're like thirty and over, it's good. If you're kind of in your twenties and you're still sort of you know cutting your teeth, I I wouldn't necessarily run out and buy. Got it. Okay, so. There's an idea about working smarter or working harder, and I think that if you're going to get into entrepreneurship, you better be ready to work hard. But I think I read somewhere that there is this opportunity that you talk about outsmarting the startup game, and that's maybe essentially what you are talking about in your book. That's right. So, so you know, if if 96% of companies never exceed a million, right, in in revenue, and you know, let's just say 10% of startups kind of make it to begin with. You're talking like, like it's less than 1% of right. companies start from scratch and then go on to exceed a million in revenue, which, you know, Vern Harnish considers a million in revenue as product market fit. Anything less than that is sort of luck, right? Um, so if you, if you look at it differently and say, okay, out of all of these companies that are being acquired, Right. Like, how does it how does it kind of engineer sustainability into into, you know, having in your own business? And the way I look at it is if you look at SBA loans that have been used to acquire businesses over the last like 15 years, the default rate is less than one and a half percent. So in other words, it's wow. it's almost the direct opposite of starting from scratch. Right. You can go out and and acquire an existing business that's already doing a million plus. 
for not a lot of money, frankly. It's it's sort of equivalent to buying a house or something like that. It's actually sort of, it's very equivalent if you look at the dollars in terms of the average startup and what they actually take in, in, in invested dollars to get started. Um, it's within like $5,000 of, 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 of each other. Um, so the point is, is it's more sustainable, it's a going concern, and you can jump in and just start building your own business with a profitable infrastructure from day one. Well, I think that that certainly makes sense. And I don't know that there's a lot of people who are talking about this. I think you mentioned that there's universities who are maybe starting to talk about this concept. Um, okay. I, I, I'll be honest. I don't know that I realized that I could use an SBA loan to acquire an existing business. Absolutely. It's, um, and the thing is, is January 1st, um, the SBA kind of uh, came to terms with the fact that, that they used to have these um, asset requirements, right? Like the first business I bought was a book printing company and I did it like the week the Kindle came out. It was great. But anyway, um, that's a whole nother conversation. But <laughs> part of the reason I did it was because there was these big, huge iron presses, right? That were, that were printing books. And the bank could look at that and say, okay, I've got a tangible asset that we can use as collateral, right? It's essentially like, like a small, you know, leveraged buyout, if you happen to know what that is, right? So, where, you know, where you use the, the, the collateral, the assets of the company as collateral of the loan, right? The SBA kind of said, well, listen, I mean, we're, we're making people take a personal guarantee to, you know, jump in and, and buy and manage these businesses. So we are actually comfortable not having those assets there. I mean, what's a printing press worth anyway? Frankly, probably scrap because, right. you know, the, because of the statistics of that industry. But um, starting January 1st of this year, they even started saying, okay, we're going to go ahead and issue cash flow loans, meaning no assets required. And you can put, you know, 10% down of the total purchase price. So you can acquire the whole, the whole business, the working capital, and even just say, hey, and I need some cash in the company as well, and your closing costs, and your legal fees, and put it all together and pay 10% down. You can even put the building in there if you want. Now, George, I'm going to be very careful. So a lot of people are going to misunderstand what I'm saying, okay? I almost I almost didn't go here you know, in the book because I, I don't want people to think that I'm saying, hey, run out and put 10% down and buy a business. You know, I, on the one hand, I'm just pointing out that you can do it. And given the right opportunity, you're going to maximize your your return on investment. But when you take on risk, when you take on debt, you're taking on risk. And at the and a personal guarantee, it's real. So you know what I want your listeners to to understand is although you can do it, you know, um, we've also learned uh, throughout the many bubbles throughout history that you know having like 90% leverage on something doesn't work out for you when when there's downturns in, in the marketplace. So, you know, you want right. to be really careful and make sure that you, you, you've you got the right opportunity for yourself. Okay. And so how do I identify these opportunities? So a lot of people that start out looking for a business to acquire, um, you know, it's something like 90% of them never actually pull the trigger on anything. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One um, is they're not working with a sense of urgency. Um, I built an online course. It's called six months to CEO. That's aggressive. That's an aggressive timeline, but I did it because, you know, you've got a hat, you got to be working on this timeline with a sense of urgency, knowing that this is your goal and you're going to get it done. You're working towards it. Go, go, go. Right. On the flip side, most people really don't know what they're looking for in the first place. I had lunch with a couple of ladies that were looking to acquire a business. They were the typical, you know, golden handcuffed 
middle management at a large organization situation where, you know, they had these great, great salaries, great benefits, you know, but they knew that life could be more. They wanted to go out on their own. They just, they knew a startup wasn't right for them. And, you know, they asked me to go to lunch. I sort of walked them through kind of the funnel that's in the book. And um, halfway through, they just kind of looked at each other and said, we should have bought that last business that, you know, sold to someone else. And they were just unsure of themselves. They didn't know what they were looking for. And what I sort of preach is people aren't looking for a business that is a certain size or in a certain industry, which is how most of like the, you know, brokerage world kind of works. Instead, I want people to understand what their skill set is. I want them to understand what they want their day-to-day lives to look like, what they actually want to be doing with their time. And I want them to define a growth opportunity that will fit their skill set, right? So that they're able to, you know, take that business and buy it and then build their own company from there. Got it. All right. So I I think that all that makes sense. I think it's important to have short deadlines and high expectations. So otherwise Mm -hmm. you'll fall onto that 90% and and you'll never actually pull the trigger. But you need to be honest with yourself and you shouldn't get into, you know, a Quiznos franchise if you don't want to go whatever. It's just important that you understand what your life will actually look like and and all those things you're interested in. You've mentioned a couple times, um, and now I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get the language right, but buy a business and then essentially make it your own, right? Can, yep. can you talk uh-huh. a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, one second on what you just said, like, like I used to be a, a very avid, you know, um, uh, cyclist, you know, I was, I would race and, you know, ride bikes and da da da. I loved it. You know, I've got probably George, I have probably $20,000 in carbon fiber in my basement. You know, <laughs> once you have kids, there's just not that. Right. The point is, is it was like, you know, here's a deep passion. And what I understood at the time was, you know, it was sort of like, how do I, how do I do this? How do I do this? But the truth is, is, you know, if I had gone out and started a bike shop or, you know, bought a bike shop or became a partner in a bike shop, running a bike shop has nothing to do with riding your bike at all. Right. It's a lot of, you know, maintenance on bicycles and probably a lot of turnover at the retail level. Or if you're online, it's going to be a lot of, you know, sourcing, managing inventory and fulfilling orders. Right. So, you know, there's there's a gap between what you know, what you might be passionate about and what the business actually looks like. And so I just want to make that that point. Um, Your question was, I'm so sorry, repeat your question. No, Not at all. Just the idea of because I think that so many people are do have a passion and they want to do something on their own. They want to make it their own baby. But you can still acquire an existing business and put your fingerprints on it, put your stamp on it. Oh, oh, no. Right. Of course. So let me give it to you like this. Um, I kind of I kind of painted the picture of some of the attributes that, you know, my last startup, I was a co-founder in a company that, again, oversubscribed, one of the top 10 accelerator programs in the world. We had betas at big companies. We had a proven tech team with the CTO of a Fortune 500 company working with our dev team. I mean, everything you could hope for in a startup, right? Nine months later, we were out of cash, had no paying customers. Um, it was at that time, you know, I, where I sort of said, okay, let me look back at, you know, what what's worked for me before. Because this startup thing, I'm just getting a lot of at-bats and I'm just not getting that one that's happening. Um, and a business broker that I worked with in the past called and said, Hey Walker, I got this company. It's a great fit for you. And I looked at it and I wasn't sure, but then all of a sudden I started to see the infrastructure that they had and they had, um, all of these users inside all of these organizations, you know, multiple locations. And they were using this sort of like 
kind of like DOS level, highly dated um, uh, system to order materials that were being sourced and, and managed by EDC, my company today. And what I did was I acquired the company. I then used the cash flow from the business to build out a proprietary e-commerce storefront. And then we rolled it out to almost 20,000 users within months after acquisition, completely transforming the way the company worked, completely transforming um, the way that, the, you know, the, the value that we brought to customers. And it was frankly everything we were trying to achieve at the startup company, but couldn't get done. Right. <laughs> and I did it, frankly, at a fraction of the cost. <laughs> and I own 100 percent of the company. Nice. So it's just an example. Right. I mean, the thing is, is you can look at. Um, the, in, you know, we're all trying, when we start a business, we're trying to build from scratch an infrastructure that can ultimately generate a profitable revenue, right? So what I'm saying is, is, you know, go out and put that infrastructure first and find out what's the most economic way I can get that infrastructure so that I can, you know, apply my own skill set and have my own business or even apply my own idea, right? So instead of starting from scratch, you go out and, and acquire that infrastructure. Frankly, one, one more thing on this point, uh, you know, a common objection would be like, yeah, Walker, you're right. Like all these startups, you know, they don't make it, but I'm going for venture capital, right? I'm swinging for the fences. And, you know, if I can get, you know, like tens of millions of dollars, like we're going to be able to build this infrastructure. I want to say a couple of things. Number one, uh, venture capital does do a better job at increasing the success rate of startups. However, 75% of VC-backed startups go to zero, which means they take you to about a 25% success rate, right? Right. The other thing is, is venture capital will often invest in multiple companies in one space, saying, well, I don't know which one's gonna make it, but like one of them will. In other words, you know, let's say they invest in 10, 10 startups in that space, right? One of them will make it to a billion dollars, two of them will break even, say, and seven of them will go to zero, okay? That's not a game for entrepreneurs. Right. That's a game for investors, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that like the VC firm wins, and it's a VC business model. And so, you know, they're succeeding off of, off of our labor. Got it. Well, Walker, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? What I would say is, if you are wanting to start a startup, you know, I would challenge you to think about, you know, what is the infrastructure I need and try to define what that is and then go out and start uh, getting upstream, talking to brokers, looking even online at, you know, businesses that can be available. And I think that uh, your listeners will be surprised at how much more affordable buying an infrastructure from, you know, say, you know, a retiring baby boomer, for example, actually can be. Well, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Walker, th thanks so much for coming on the show. A um, couple of things. Tell us where Savage Nation can learn more about you, but also um, what they will get out of reading the book. Sure. I think that if you if you read Buy Then Build, what you get is, number one, you understand why buying a business can work for you. It doesn't mean that 100% of the time it's the right way to go. I just think that most, for most entrepreneurs, it's actually a better model. Um, secondly, you're going to get a clear blueprint of actually how to do it. Nice. Okay. And where can people, when, where can people learn more about you? Sure. Sure. The, I mean, obviously buy them build is on Amazon. I've got buy them build.com. I'm also Walker Dibel on Twitter. Excellent. 
Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Walker your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Pick up a copy of his book, go to his website, find him on Twitter. All of those will be listed in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Walker. Thanks, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.